What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, what's up? It's Rachel Silver Cohen from Unpolished Therapy. Hello, hello. I'm with Dr. Boca. What's shaking, Bacon? Oh, you know, same old, same old, but it's so exciting to be back here. I always look forward to our little sessions. And today's going to be an amazing topic that you are going to drool over. Ooh, I can't wait. Drool. What are we drooling over? Tell me, tell me. We're drooling over death. Ooh. (laughs) Whoever said that. Exactly. Yeah, because well, I'm a ghoul. So well done on the little on the little rhyme factor. I know. And you know, let me just back up because yes, this is a piece of my personality that is definitely a little off. It's a little unpolished. But I am going to argue that there are more people than not that probably have a real fascination with death. And for me, my fascination with death, clearly, I hope people understand this and you too, it's not coming from a place of enthusiasm. It's coming from a place of wanting to fuel myself and fill myself with knowledge and information and have that as a weapon, so to speak, to guard my emotion or to navigate my emotion with my uneasiness about Mm -hmm. death. So my talking about it all the time and saying I'm a ghoul and asking questions and wanting to know, and there isn't one detail that I don't want left unturned, that's because, yes, it's a little fucked up, no question. But I have discerned for myself that it stems from a place of having control or mm-hmm. truly the lack of control with a topic that is a little out there. And I wouldn't pass judgment on you that it's fucked up. I think death is one of those topics that's always been taboo. And we're always drawn to wanting to understand the tabooness. I don't think that's actually a word, but go with it. The tabooness of things. You know, when we were little, what was the one thing we wanted to know about was sex because it was taboo. Nobody spoke about it, you know, and then our periods, right? All the men listening are probably so thrilled that I just brought that up. But, you know, like everybody wanted their hands on, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Like it just, you know, knowledge is power and it gives us a sense of understanding. So I think that there's, it's also like voyeurism to some degree where watching and understanding and experiencing it from a distance, there's something about it that's very seductive. That being said, I would argue that yes, there's probably a large portion of the population that is like you who wants to know and understand and is fascinated by that as a way to control your emotions and dealing with it. And then I would say there's a vast majority of people, and I would put myself on this side of the spectrum, that has a real anxiety associated with it, right? And I don't think they're not two sides of the same coin. I'm not arguing that they're not. I'm just saying that there is a difference there. And for me, it's, yes, I'm interested in knowing. Like I am the person when I'm driving down the street and I see an accident, like I'm looking at it. I want to know and I'm making up a whole scenario in my head as to what happened and, you know, hoping that people are safe and whatever and wondering if anybody died, God forbid. But that being said, I'm the person who, and this is so unpolished of me because I'm the psychologist, that... I'm not the person who focuses on the anxiety of my own death. Mine is the fear of other people 
that I'm close to dying because I've had that experience. And those feelings were so big and so overpowering and so intense that it has really redefined my relationships and my vulnerabilities going forward in relationships from that point. So I think this is a great topic. I was making light of it only because you and I had talked about it, you know, several sessions ago and how you were so drawn to it. But I do think that because so many people are uncomfortable about it and you and I kind of represent both sides of the spectrum, I think it's an awesome topic to be talking about. Yeah. Well, first of all, despite what we may want to hope for or believe, death is not going away. It's here to stay. From the minute we're born, you know, some would say, I guess, depending on how cynical you are, the second you're born, you're that much closer to dying. I mean, that's a disgusting kind of way to look at it. And that by no means is how I view death at all. For the most part, I table it and I pocket it and I don't like to bring it out because to the point of what you were saying, it's an uncomfortable topic. It's taboo in a way. It's uncomfortable. I don't think that if you were sitting around the table at a dinner party and you were playing a game and someone said, all right, throw out a topic that most people will be like, hey, you want to talk about death today? Now me, I might. Okay. <laughs> but again, my issues with it stem from control. And when you mentioned earlier that you're less anxiety riddled over your own death and more about the potential idea of losing the people you love. I'm in that camp too. I don't spend the majority, when I am talking about death, okay, or thinking about death, if I were to delineate between what percentage am I talking or thinking about my own death versus others, obviously that needle is much more heavily weighed towards the, oh my God, if I lost someone close to me camp, okay? when. I do take a moment to think about my own mortality. That's, I can't even go there. But that's not so much about what I'm going to then miss out on. And maybe that is a narcissistic piece. It's about how will my kids handle that? Mm -hmm. And I guess the non-emotional answer to that is they'll deal because life goes on and they're going to have to, and you're not going to be here anyway to control how they deal with that nightmare. But that aside, I I think the bigger issue is that we can agree on it's our fear of losing loved ones. Absolutely. And the lack of control because when it happens, you're not prepared, even if you try to be prepared. And Mm -hmm. if I may be so bold, the comparison with us and, and our stories is I think that, you know, maybe a loss that you had was something that you did not prepare for and you got thrown from left field. My paranoia or ghoulishness or lack of control and uncomfortable, but trying to be comfortable with death, the irony is it comes from a completely different place in that I have been preparing Mm. for many, many, many years for what's imminent with the people that I love as a result of some things that there were curveballs thrown along the way. And there was one after the next, after the next, after the next. And I did all of this preparing and then nothing ever, (laughs) nothing happens. Okay. So we make plans and well, yeah, I mean, it's almost a joke in my family where it's like, oh my God, like the boy who cried wolf, so to speak. But I don't know that that, or I do know that it has not served me well to have the eulogy written and being held in the drawer or the filing cabinet or having all those plans planned out for how will I deal 
So I'll deal ahead of time. I think it's completely ignorant. And maybe, maybe it is more normal than not. I'm my own person and I'm living in my own head. And again, people don't want to talk about this with Mm -hmm. me or with anyone for that matter. So I don't know how normal that is. But planning for something that inevitably is going to come anyway, the way that I have evaluated myself on this is it's like I want to pre-mourn so that I don't have to maybe do it with such intensity when it happens. And I'm not ignorant enough to know that that's going to work. I'm pretty sure it's not. So take over. I was going to say that based on what we said last week or another session we did, whenever it was, might've been last week, it might not have been, who knows, but you know, we need to be in the moment. And when we allow ourselves to prepare for what's eventually maybe going to come down the road, and maybe when I say maybe, it's going to come down the road. We acknowledge that death is inevitable, but it doesn't mean it's imminent, right? We're missing so many wonderful moments. Now, I just wanted to kind of put that comment out there. But I've had this conversation with many, many of my friends. It's very interesting. So I'm happy to talk about it. I lost my father in a sudden accident. I think it's 17 years ago. And there's two points that I want to make to it. One is that for whatever reason, when I moved into the development that I lived in, I became friends with all of these moms, young moms at the time, you know, we're now old, but young moms at the time, who, interestingly, we had all lost our fathers at a young age. So I had like this little cohort that I wasn't expecting to have. And we had this conversation multiple times as to like, what's the better way to go, right? Is it to go quickly and suddenly like my father did or to grieve somebody and have the opportunity to say goodbye over- The slow bleed. The the slow slow bleed. bleed, The slow bleed or like the knife to the gut. immediate bleed out, right? Exactly. Is it it weird that I have those type of conversations- now more times than not, I guess, relevant with today's world and whatnot. But I too have had those conversations. Yeah. And, um, and so how do you fare? So, I mean, for me, given that my father was young, he was 56 at the time that he died and he died doing what he loved doing. He was riding his motorcycle and somebody hit him on his motorcycle. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Somebody ran a red light. So for me, as horrible and tragic as it was for me, I was able to hold on to the fact that he died doing what he loved doing. He would never have wanted to live through it if he wasn't going to be 100% afterward, right? So I didn't have to selfishly watch him deteriorate and grow old and add that burden and that responsibility into my life, my brother's life, whomever's life. I don't think anybody wants to ever see their parents in a vulnerable position. I think emotionally, that's a very, very hard place to be. So my dad was, in my mind, greater than, than life, right? Like he was this big, huge energy ball of life. So to see him compromised or vulnerable was like not even in the realm of possibility. So it's very easy now, 17 years later in hindsight to say that was the easier way. Now, for the people that are still living post that, it is shocking. It is crippling. It is your life is turned upside down. You don't get the closure. You don't get to say goodbye. You don't get to say all the things that you wish you could have. Now, that aside, talking to my friends, they were like, oh my God, watching every single day saying goodbye and then them resurfacing back to life, you know, because of medical technology or treatments or whatever it was, or seeing them in this vulnerable position and deteriorating over time. 
that was gut-wrenching both to the people observing it and the person who was suffering through it. So again, I think there's less, I don't know what the right word is, but there's less uh, I know this is a podcast and I'm not. Well, it, it, it's the lesser of two evils and it's yeah. the devil, you know, versus the devil you don't know. In your case, you're picking the route that you live through, not by choice, but also the resiliency card is a card that we have to play because the lesser of two evils, the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know. Let's call it what it is. Both options suck, suck right? Yes. That was good. We did that in unison. Uh, So it's the resiliency card and we all do get through because it's life and that's the circle and you have to, and you don't have a choice. And sometimes even as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm thinking to myself, you're such an asshole right now. Like, who are you to be speaking on this topic? You don't have personal experience from that parental standpoint, right? I have my own personal experiences. My brother had passed away. Suddenly there was no preparation for that. And that was mind blowing. I've tucked that away and I've compartmentalized that for various reasons based on um, relationships and complications and things of that nature. And I've rationalized in my head that, okay, and that's, you know, this is a, you know, a, a vulnerability moment here. My death issues began way before that. You know, my dad was significantly older than my mom. So he was an older father when we were growing up. And my issues stem from the illnesses that he has had over the years. And mm-hmm. I can say it now laughing because part of it is my defense mechanism. You know, I'm the one who, if I go to a funeral, you don't want to sit next to me because I'm fighting back laughter because I'm so uncomfortable. It's the only way I know how to get out the emotion. And then I go hide in the corner, you know, biting the inside of my cheek because I want to sob, right? But my dad, the instances that have my defining moments... You talked earlier about there's the before this and there's after this. And that's how you delineate your views on things. So I was in college and my dad had collapsed on the golf course, right? And that was it. I remember to this day, my mom was on the phone and, you know, I didn't hear what was happening on the other end of the phone and someone must have picked her up to take her to the hospital, I suppose. And my brother and I were now following along in a car behind her or whatever. And To this minute, all these years later, the feeling is even like festering up in my gut, right? This visceral, guttural feeling. My brother was driving. I was staring out the window and I was playing the movie in my head. And when we got to the hospital, there was a legitimate goodbye, right? And we had a conversation. I mean, it it wasn't a big, long, you know, hey, tiny, my dad calls me tiny, sit down and, you know, let's have our talk now. I mean, we thought he was dying and that was it. And he squeezed my hand and he said, what do you need to say? But the mind fuck mm-hmm. that he survived that, okay, mm-hmm. that's fucked up. Now, I'm not going to play, you know, whose loss is greater or better. I, I don't want to go down that road because clearly, like, again, like, he survived that. And your case, your dad passed away. So it's like, are we even talking about the same bag of apples but, here? But I don't feel this as a comparison. I feel like there's different processes and different experiences. And your process was almost. On the one hand, okay, so you got to say the things that you wanted to say. Well, no, no, there was no say. He made a couple whispers. He told us, you know, 
I you know, basically, you. He, yeah, and like take care of your mother, <laughs> you know, which is so beautiful. But and we laugh about it now. It was like, you know, you've been Forget great, you guys. Like, no, yeah, he's like, but make sure, make sure you you take care of mom. Which, in the spirit of love and partnership, what you would say at that last minute, like I marvel in that. I would want that when I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> I would like to tell my kids, like, hey, take care of whoever my partner is, and right. whatever. And, and that was a beautiful moment. The mind fuck in that is that dad, if you're listening, the beauty that I can even say, hey, dad, if you're listening all that's these amazing. years later, and, yeah. and that's a silver lining. But we have had this dress rehearsal, mm-hmm. if you will, more times than I care to remember. The episode on the golf course was literally the gate, if you will, to health issues along the way that were progressively bigger deals. And there were many goodbyes, many pack your bags and, you know, button up and where's the documents and all that. And over the years of time, it's like, oh my God. And it has caused that anxiety of, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? That's a hard pill. That's a lot to carry. And it is. I mean, you know, it's like, when's the next shoe going to drop, right? Like you're just (laughs) waiting for that phone call, right? Yeah. But if I can turn it just a little bit, I think how amazing that A, you got to hear what he said in that moment, right? And I'm not trying to take away the anxiety piece of it because that is very real and it's a, a lot to carry. But you've had these moments to be able to appreciate and learn and hold on to and catch those moments that you wouldn't have been able to catch if the first gate had closed. So you've had all of these other times. And I think with any relationship, and I have to remind myself of this because a lot of times I don't want to engage and invest and open up and be vulnerable in relationships because I don't want that feeling again of the loss, right? But you can't have the depth and emotionality of a relationship at its rawest and its most authentic and its most meaningful without having those feelings of loss that are so painstaking and so gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. You know, I always look at grief as the intensity of the grief is the amount that you loved. Mm, right. Say that again. Repeat that. Uh, listeners out there, that was a beautiful, beautiful statement. Say that again, Dr. Boca. The intensity of the feelings of loss and pain that you feel is as much as you've loved. So if you didn't love somebody much, you're not going to feel much when they're gone. But those painstaking, debilitating, can't get out of bed in the morning, loss feelings that you have is a reflection of how much you love that other person. And I have to remind myself of that because it is, it's when you lose something and your life spirals the way that mine did. I mean, when I tell you like the whole trajectory of my life changed the day my father died. I mean, I live in a different state now. I came home to take care of his parents. I only met my husband through the loss of my father. It was like my father sent me my husband. All of these things that never would have happened if my father had stayed alive, right? So it really was a life-changing experience for me. And I sit here and I say, God, I don't want to get close to anybody anymore where I have to make myself vulnerable because I don't want to feel that. But at the same time, I want to love that intensely. So I have to take it. And that's what I was going to say to take some of your own advice because those words were so powerful that it's kind of the risk reward, right? And the risk of loving so deeply 
or I should say the, re- well, no, I don't know what comes first, the, the chicken or the egg. I get, yeah, they're, they're interchangeable. You can't have light without darkness. It's part of what connection is all about and bonding. And if you're not loving, you're not feeling. And if you're not feeling, you're not hurting. And if you're not hurting, you're not living because it, because it's all well, kind of, you know, it, it's this vessel at, or this wheel that keeps moving. And, and I guess we all have to take a cue from that, that to be vulnerable, to take the risk, to tell someone that you love them. And I guess you're willing to figure out a way to process the hurt or the loss or the anxiety if in when that event comes down the pipe to mourn. And I think that that's a really beautiful way to try to talk about something that is inevitable. Don't not love because you're scared of the loss or the hurt. I'm going to take my own advice on that because I do tense up. And for me, I think this is not a great quality because I don't know how to express it any other way, but I get angry a little Mm -hmm. bit because I don't Mm -hmm. maybe like what I see or I know what's coming and it makes me uptight. And I think that is a mechanism of shutting down a little bit probably not the best route to go. I share with my kids, and and I want to share a story about my kids as it relates to death and and family and love. But before I do, one of the tips that I say to myself that I try to use as a tool and even to my children is to seek the wisdom and the knowledge from the people around you that you know inevitably are not going to be around forever. Ask questions ask them to share a story. That's a win-win too, because that person, your loved one, has an opportunity to have a forum to share and recall memories that were important maybe when they were younger or in their heyday or even relevant for right now. And then their legacy, right? Their mm-hmm. children and their grandchildren are having an opportunity to hear and to, to store those feelings and emotions and memories and share on a go forward. And let me just put out there, record it. It's the most beautiful thing. We have my grandparents and my grandmother's 98 right now, but my grandfather's no longer here. And we have their entire life story. Even though they told it to us, we have it in recording so that we can hand it down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation because their stories should be told. And it's a connection. And that's what life is all about, a connection. And so I know you want to tell the story about your kids. I just want to put out there that if you can hold on to, yes, we have to balance that the next shoe is going to drop. But in that moment between now and the next shoe dropping, there are so many opportunities for you to connect and be in the moment and treasure each second, minute, day that you have and get something from that because it's such an opportunity that so many people would say, God, I would kill for one more moment, right? So if you can kind of balance, I'm not going to be able to take away that anxiety of the next shoe dropping because like you said, it's inevitable at some point. But if you knew that everything leading up to it built up that relationship and the happiness and the joy in your life, in your, I'm assuming fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, whosoever life we're talking about, they're going to die happy, fulfilled people. And those are the memories that they are going to carry with them and the memories that you're going to carry with you. And that is something you can never take away. So it's just a different way of managing that time in that space. Yeah, I guess so. And we all have to remember too, to take a beat back to what we had said a couple of weeks ago about being in the moment and plan A, plan B. Death falls into that too. We make plans, as you mentioned earlier, and then 
shit happens. Yeah. The plans change. Whatever that plan is, is where you are and you have to make the best of it. Two things. One, I'll say when you talked about recording it. And again, if my dad is listening to this, listen up. But he yells at me a lot when he, he, he'll call me and then my voice message is full. Or, you know, I tried to leave you a message, but the mess- mailbox is full. In today's world, people... I don't even know if they're listening to messages anymore, right? If you want to be found, you either keep calling back, you send a text or whatever, and so on and so forth. But the reason, okay, I'll try to say this without getting choked up, but the reason that my mailbox is full is that every one of the messages that I have, but it's because it's all the messages that my dad had left me over the years and whatnot, and I have held on to them because I want to have them. Because yeah. he won't be here forever. And along the way, I have messages. And this is dark because you never want to think that you would outlive your own children. But I've held on to messages of my own kids sure. or a friend that I love that there was something about the message that just hit the right nerve at the right time and you want to keep it in perpetuity. So that's that. And, you know, maybe there's technology these days that you can store it all somewhere else. I don't know. I wouldn't know, but I will tell you that we didn't have the same technology back in the day, but I made my stepmom hold on to my dad's phone and his phone number so that we could just call it and hear him say the message. And I wish, I think what you do is a beautiful thing and I don't think you're alone with it. I think everybody holds on to a few messages. And, and look, I'm going to be honest. I, my dad called me every single day, every day. And when I was in college, he would call me at four o'clock Midwest time because it was five o'clock East Coast time and the rates went down, right? So everybody in the sorority house and knew they would be like, yo, it's your dad. Like they just knew that's my dad, right? And every day he called me. And the last day he called me that night, I was going out and I saw him call me and I didn't take the call. Oh, it's one of my biggest regrets. And the next morning I was at work and I had no patience because it was right before Christmas break and I was just doing paperwork and I picked up the phone at like 12, one o'clock ish. And I got his voicemail and left him a message. And for years I lived with the guilt that he was answering the phone or looking down at the phone when he got hit because it was in minute of him being hit. So that is a powerful tool, the telephone and the messages and the missed opportunities, answer the fucking phone, not you, but just listeners, like slow down, answer the phone. Even if it's, I have to call you back. It's an acknowledgement that people are trying to connect with you and you don't know when it's going to be the last moment that you're going to have with them. So kudos to you that you have the voicemails and that you're saving them because those will be priceless at some point. And I only wish I had them. But I also wish I had stopped for 30 seconds because that dinner could have waited 30 seconds, right? I could have been 30 seconds later to getting drunk, right? And have at least some positive conversation with my dad before he died. So there's something to be said about it. Save all those messages. Nobody listens to their voicemail anyway. <laughs> right. No, I know. I know. And, and it's heavy. This is a conversation that no matter how much you come out of the gate, giggling about it or being silly. It is because you're masking a real deep emotion and what it means to lose someone or even just the idea and the magnitude of how things play out in your life. I had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine. This is going back years ago. And the whole conversation was like, do you know what your defining moment was? 
when you looked at death differently. Now, maybe it takes a certain kind of mind frame to be that young and to want to even dive into these type of conversations. I don't know. For me, I like getting in there and talking about stuff because again, it's the knowledge is power piece. When I was a little girl, I remember my mom coming home from a funeral and me saying, how was it? And I wasn't saying it in a way where I was, I mean, I was a little kid. So there was something innate in me where it wasn't about like, what was everybody wearing? I wasn't trying to be gossipy about it, but how was it? I remember my mom saying, Rachel, what, how was it? What, what do you, it was great. I, I mean, how, how could it be, right? But, but the that's question, question. Did, yeah, but, but I want, well, how was it? Was it tragic? Was it, was the person sick? What did people say about the person? Did people speak beautifully? Was everybody crying? Were people stoic? The gathering of information as ghoulish and dark as it sounds I'm not going to pretend that that's not something of value to me because I'm learning from it. Even it normalizes. It normalizes it. We can use COVID as an example, and we can use every other tragedy we've all dealt with over our lives. Whenever you get that call from someone, oh my God, did you hear that? Da, 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 you know, your heart stops for a quick second. And then you're diving in. Well, what do you mean? Was he sick? Was she sick? Did they know? Oh my God. How did they? And how do you not want to know how that worked? For me, at least, you know, I can't speak for other people. No, I think you're hitting on a universal thing. People do want to understand. They do. They want to normalize it. They want to understand it. They also want to know that it made sense because then it can't happen to them that way, right? Like if the person's Mm -hmm. sick, okay, they were sick. They're not suffering anymore. We can kind of rationalize that. Oh my God, it was a sudden accident. Oh my God, what were they doing? Like, oh, holy crap. Wow, that's so tragic. Their families. Oh my God, I can't even, oh, what can I do, right? And that leads me actually to a separate topic that I don't know if we're going to have time for today, but I definitely want to revisit is what do we do, right? What do we do? Because I will be the first person to say I'm a doer. After having been through my dad's loss, I realize that there's very little I can say to somebody in that moment. I can be there for them, sure, and I'm happy to. I'll sit with them and hold their hand for hours if that's what they need. But there's very little I can say that's going to make them feel better. It's horrible. It's tragic. It is as though a part of you has died along with them. So I always say to my patients and my friends, I'm like, if I could gift you one thing, it would be to speed up time. And what I mean by that is six months from now, you go day by day, hour by hour, even minute by minute at the beginning, where you can't get the thought out of your head. You can't get the feelings out of your head. You don't know how you're going to put one foot in front of another. You don't know how you're going to get through life. And as time goes on and you get to six months out, a year out, you're still thinking about it daily, but it's not consuming every minute of every life. And you look back at a year, you know, the Jews have this like brilliant thing of the, you know, the one year unveiling, right? And it's the idea of you've been through the first of everything, right? And now you can move forward in a new light by having somewhat closure, if you will. I don't think you ever get closure, but it's not something you move past. It's just something you move through and you just evolve. And not every minute of every day is taken. You look back and you say, oh my God, how did I get from you know, a year ago to today, I never thought I could get there. So I always say I would gift them, you know, speeding up time. But in the process, you do have to mourn. So there's two points here. One is, who are you when somebody dies? Do you become the person who does stuff, you know, puts together the meal train, orders the shiva platters, you know, goes grocery shopping? Or are you the person who 
will sit with that person for hours on end, you know, hold them and emote with them. And I know me, I like to do things. It makes me feel productive and useful. But as you and I have spoken about, there's a time limit to that, right? So I know that I don't have to get enveloped into the loss again and open up all of my scars. So it's protective for me while still being useful for somebody else. Is that the right way to do it? I don't know. Is it the way that works for me that I can still give to somebody else and still maintain my wholeness? Yeah, it works for me. Other people would look at me and be like, you're a fair weather friend. You only did and then you walked away. And I'm never walking away. I'm just not getting necessarily down into the dirt with them. Again, I can, and I have to make the choice to do that, but I don't always. So that was the one point I was going to make. And I don't remember what the other point was going to make, but I do think that that's, if not a topic for another day, at least our listeners should ask themselves, like, what role do you play and what role do you want to play for your friends and your family? And I can't imagine, back to what we were saying before, that if you were at a dinner party and the topics of conversation were going around, that this one would come up. So when you say like, listeners out there, maybe think about that. What kind of friend do you want to be when someone dies? I don't know that that's a natural thing that people are thinking of. But maybe this dialogue and the conversation that we've had today opens up the door again, not to go down the rabbit hole. I listened to Unpolished Therapy today and now I want to like go knife myself. We talked about death for 45 minutes, but just in the spirit of planning and thinking about our own mortality, what you said earlier about um, the questions that we ask and the things that we do and so on and so forth, it does a little bit at this point now as we are adults and middle age, if you will, right, wrong, or indifferent, we are. And (laughs) well, we are. (laughs) To some degree, though, it's an opportunity, not by choice, but because of circumstance, to face our own mortality and what's the plan and how do we do it and making sure our ducks are in a row so that we lessen the potential pain and mourning for if we were to go before the natural courts of events, you know, with our children or friends or whatever. These are not easy conversations to have. We can always throw a monkey wrench in there and we can laugh and giggle and joke to make light of it. And I think that is a coping mechanism. It's important. But it's also important. Yeah. Well, listen, if anyone needs a friend to go with them to a funeral, I'll go. And as a matter of fact, I have offered myself up to do that before and I've done it. And it was like, I was the plus one at the funeral for friends of mine who just didn't want to be by themselves. And I was emotionally detached to the actual person who died, but I was an emotional support for the friends who just needed a shoulder or a ride or just another human being to sit and, you know, help them out. And, you know, (laughs) but that's pretty ghoulish. It's like, ooh, ooh, pick me. I'll go with you. Look, I think what we said at the beginning is that it, is a really interesting, fascinating part of life, I guess. And life is made up of people who play all different roles. And how you handle death and how I handle death and how our friends handle death are all different. But what is similar is we are all going to die. And we, like you said, we're middle-aged. It's going to start happening more and more. So we do have to kind of do a little bit of introspection and say, what kind of person do we want to be? to our friends. You may be the person who says, hey, I don't want to go by myself. You know, Rachel, please come with me, please. And that's your way of giving back to somebody who's struggling, right? My way may be, I'll go grocery shopping for you. I'll go plan the meal trains for you. I'll take your kids. I'll 
do whatever it is that you want, but I can't go to the funeral with you. Like, I just can't. Like, to me, that's not, you want me to read over your eulogy? I'll read over your eulogy. You can practice on me, do all that. I just can't go to the actual funeral. But that's me, right? Other people, everybody plays a role. And I think part of life is finding people who will support you in different ways through everything that you do. And death is no different, whether it's death of you or God forbid, death of your, I don't even know which way to go because they both suck your families, your friends, your children, God forbid a million times. Like, right. We can't control that. We can't as much as we try and try and try. We're only going to create a dizziness, a feeling of dread and angst in our life. And it's going to detach us from our relationships. And we can't be in the moment if we're worried about that. So find your friends that you know of, that you can rely on for different things. Ask your friend or each person listening, listeners, um, figure out who you want to be when your friends need you. And that's who you are. And there's no shame in it. Some people can't deal with it at all. And that's okay too. We have to know what we're capable of doing and what our limitations are. Yeah. People out there, you know, if you have any thoughts or comments or ways that you deal with death or the ways that you don't deal with death, maybe let us know. It would be interesting to hear your feedback and in hearing it, maybe we can then share it with others. And, and again, this is a topic that is uber sensitive that people don't really want to dive in and talk about. But I think that if you take a moment to sit with it a little bit, your input could help all of us and we could spread that around a little bit and help each other. Absolutely. And we're close to the end of the sesh, but I just wanted to point out one thing you know, just a takeaway for you, Rachel, is to wonder why it's such an uncomfortable topic and why you go to the laughter. And I know you said it's a defense mechanism, but defending against what I think is an important thing for you to do some introspection on, because I think that will help you deal with the anxiety of the upcoming inevitables that are going on and your desire to plan everything, knowing full well that you're not going to be able to control this, you know, spending a little bit of time focusing in on that. And this is a topic we can revisit. If you guys want to ask questions, if you guys have comments, like Rachel said, the easiest way, I guess, is to go to our website at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. And um, that's not our website. That's our email. But you can go... (laughs) You can go to the email. Or You're the in the death zone. I am. I'm in the death, death zone. Just take it. We're actually, it over me. you know what, everyone? We're going to change the name of this podcast actually to Unpolished Death. Every episode, we're going to talk about another piece of mortality and, and ways to die. I mean, this is just awesome. Let's just, I mean, let's just lift us up now because. I know it's my own fault. I brought this up. And no, it's so day, but... good. No, I think it's so good. And guess what? I bet you we would have more listeners if we to death? The name to death because death. people are fascinated by it. Yeah. Fascinated because it's so anxiety producing. So anyway, time's up. That's the end of our time. I am exhausted. I mean, I like I'm taking a deep breath. I think our next topic should be about like yoga and breathing and ways to just kind of purge out some of the because I'm exhausted right now. And, I was going to need help. And, you know, it, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy duty. I was going to go with sex for the next topic. Oh, hey, cool. well, that, wait, 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 no, but that's, a, that, listen, sex is a great way to release, release. anxiety, right? <laughs> and get your socks knocked off or whatever and, and just re- release a little bit of whatever has been built up. So, yeah, so why not? Next week, not? we're going to go from death to sex, everybody. <laughs> So, could you imagine dying while you're having sex, though? Oh my God. I think that happens. 
that's the best way to go. I think, I mean, that could be the best way to go if it's good sex at least. Yeah, there you go. All right. We're completely going all over the place right now. Our wheels are spinning out of control. I hope that we haven't brought you too far down the rabbit hole. Just take what we've said, think about it. And you know what, if anything, call people that are still around, let them know that you love them, share a moment, ask for them to tell you a story, spread a little love and just be right? Plan B, everyone. B-E. Be in the moment and we'll catch you next time. Corner of audacity and advice. I know I'll be there. I know Dr. Boca will be there. We're going to spin out of control. We're going to ditch the couch. We're going to grab the mics and we can't wait. All right. So we'll see you next time, everyone. This has been Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone. Like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs> <laughs>